Okay, so we're talking about family matters, and uh, this, this talk, uh, particularly in this series in general, is probably going to get me in a little bit of trouble as we talk about families, um, primarily because my mom is here this weekend. So, and I actually haven't seen her. Mom, are you in the house here? Oh, there you are. Okay, so just so you know, that's kind of how this thing shakes out. We're going to talk about family, and I grew up in hers. Okay, so... Um, See, the, the thing is, I grew up in a really good family. What else am I going to say? No, I, I grew up in a good family. It was awesome. It, you know, it was all great and stuff. It wasn't perfect, um, but it was good, you know. And I have, I have parents who love me. My dad passed away already, as many of you know, but, you know, my mom loves me, and she comes up and visits and things like that. She wanted to be here for the, for the anniversary party last week and things like that, and she was, and so that's all cool. And you know, my parents were, were very good at letting us know that they loved us. Um, but my parents weren't perfect. Sorry, Mom. And that's okay because that's two-sided because I, when I was growing up, I was a, I was a good boy. <laughs> Come on. I was really good. Yeah, huh? But I was not perfect. And that, and, you know, that happens, right? That, that's not a shock to you. None of you are going, oh, I can't believe you said that in front of your parents, in front of your moms. Like, well, yeah, but it's not a surprise. It's not a mystery that parents aren't perfect. There are no perfect parents. I'm, I'm not a perfect parent. My parents weren't. Your parents weren't. You're not. You know, there. I told you, I might get in trouble. We're going to talk about family. And here's the deal. Everybody needs one. Everybody needs to talk about their family. Everyone needs us to talk together about our family. And it doesn't matter because some of you will say, oh, well, I'm not really in a family right now. I'm single and I don't have any, I don't have my parents around and I'm not raising any children. So I don't really need this set of talks. Yeah, but you know what? All of us come from a family background. If you can figure out that background, you can figure out where you are in life. And so whether you're in a place where you say, I'm really not surrounded by family at all right now, you probably need these talks. And maybe you're neck deep in this whole child raising thing. You know, maybe you've got, maybe you've got infants and toddlers. You need this talk. You know, if you have, let's say you have, let's say you have preteens or teenagers. Yeah, come forward. Because you need this talk, right? And here's the deal. Even if your children are grown and out of the house, you need this talk. Because that's where I am and I need the talk. I need to kind of hear what God has to say to us. Uh, in this whole subject of family. Now, a lot of us carry guilt around regarding our family that we grew up in. See, for me, personally, I th- I'm pretty sure I'm a better son now that I've been a father. You learn some things about being a child when you're a parent. I'm absolutely certain that I was a better father before I became one. Yeah, are, are you with me on that? See, I, I used to be, before I had children, I was this amazing family counselor. I could go in the grocery store, and you'd see a mom or a dad with a kid in a cart. And the kids down the cereal aisle, and what they really want is Cap'n Crunch. And what mom's given is Cheerios, dry, plain, not the honey-flavored ones, you know. And so the kids throwing a fit, and I was beautiful at being able to formulate advice for that parent. I could have told them a thousand ways to be a better parent, And I bet you could have too, before you became one. We all need to hear the talk, and we all need to come to it 
from a perspective of humility. I believe I'm, I'm a different pastor today than I was 25 years ago when we started. When we started, I had a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and eventually we added a third one to the family. I'm a different pastor than I was 25 years ago. I'm a different preacher than I was 25 years ago because now I've raised my children. And now I found out that I wasn't a perfect parent either. And so when we come to this subject, you're going to have all kinds of background. You're going to have all kinds of emotion. You're going to have all kinds of stuff that's going on in there. And I just want to invite all of us together to make an agreement that we will choose to learn humbly this subject. Thank you. I got one in. I'm two, right? See, I look at this subject and I go, I, I, I'm going to come to this subject humbly. And that's a little hard to say because, you know, how can you say I'm humble without being proud, you know? Well, I'll say it this way. I've been humbled by the whole process of raising children because it's not easy. And as smart as we are when somebody else's kid is messing up, we're not that smart when it's our own. And so how do you come to the place in your life where you just decide, I'm going to learn humbly what God has to say to me? About, in this case, about family. I used to, I used to do um, family series about every other year. So all the time my kids were growing up, about every other year, we'd cycle back to us like, it's time for another family talk. We better have a family talk in church. You know, so we'd go through all the family talk things. And I did that about every other year for so many years. And I just recently went back and I looked through all my records of all the sermon series that we've done over the years. There's been a lot of them in 25 years. I've done this a lot to you guys, I think, right? So I went through all those records and I found out that the last time I gave a full-fledged family series was the year my first daughter entered high school. And then I stopped. Because I started thinking, I'm not sure I know what to say. And I know there's stuff in the Bible. I can tell you what the Bible says, but, you know, one of my passionate desires is to make sure that I live out what I tell you. And really being a parent is not easy. And I want to live out what I tell you. And so I thought it's about time to come back around to the subject. And let's do, a, let's do a family talk again. Let's do a series about how the family matters these days. And what does it mean that family matters? And what are the family matters these days? With all that in mind, I want to begin with some grace notes for parents. Maybe just to help you out. Three three grace notes, then we'll look into what Scripture says. Number one, there are no perfect parents. So if you're a parent and you're like, and and maybe you have this perfectionist tendency, which is in my own heart, you got this desire to be perfect and to do it right and not mess up. Can I just tell you there are no perfect parents? And so if you have a little pressure relief valve, turn it and release the pressure because you're not perfect. And you go to the store and people look at you and they go, you know, I, that's how it goes. It's okay. There's no perfect parents. Take the pressure off. All right? Number two, your children have been given by God a thing called moral choice, free will. 
And your children, because of God's grace in their lives and God's love in their lives, your children have the capacity and the freedom to choose their own path. And as long as you're bigger than them, you sort of can steer them a lot. But once they get about to your size, you don't get to steer them as much anymore. And they have this thing called free choice. You know why they have that? It's because God loves your children as much as he loves you. See, miraculously, God looked at us and he said, I love you so much, I will let you choose whether you want to love me back or not. You don't have to. You choose. And the reason God did that was because he knows that no relationship based on coercion is founded on love. It's like, if you say you love God because he makes you say it, he holds you down and twists your arm and goes, say it, say it, say it. If God makes you say it, it's not love, it's coercion. And so God loved you enough to give you freedom to choose him or not. It's why so many people in the world choose not. Because God loves them so much. It's ironic that God loves them so much that he lets them choose. And then with that that freedom, they choose not to love the one who loves them so much. But that's how it plays out. God loves your children as much as he loves you. He gave you freedom to choose. He gives your children freedom to choose. And sometimes they choose differently than you like. Number three, God is the only perfect father. God is the only perfect parent, and God has only one perfect child, and his name is not you. I mean, so here, get this. God's the perfect parent. He has one perfect child, and the rest of us went astray. All of the rest of us. The Bible says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. All of us. So before we start, you know, getting all high and mighty about the thing, and like, I got this parent deal dialed in. I got this family thing dialed in. Or or before we start fretting and worrying, going, I'm not doing it right. I'm not doing the best I could do. It's not working out so well. Step back for a moment and realize that God gives us grace. Now, with all of that said, let's begin. And let's begin at the beginning. You tell me, what are the first four words of the Bible? Yeah, I know you got to count them out, right? In the beginning, God. There it is. And that's fascinating. Most of you knew that, didn't you? Isn't that kind of, it's kind of an interesting, wonderful thing. You're already on your way to memorizing the whole Bible. You've already gotten started. You know the first four words. You just got like 9,000 pages to go. In the beginning, God. The Bible begins with God. Life begins with God. Family begins with God. And when you try to do it any other way, you mess it up. It begins with God. In the beginning, God. Now, fifth word is created. I find it interesting that when God decided what he would have us call him, he chose names. God had all these rights to choose names as he would want them or want us to call him. So he could have said, hey, when you pray, I want you to pray to me as creator. Right? So Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray in what we call the Lord's Prayer. And he could have said, when you pray, pray like this. Oh, our creator who art in heaven. And that would have been true. That would have been a good name for God. We sometimes call God our creator. We address him as creator, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's true, but it's not his favorite name. 
Jesus could have said, when you pray, make sure you pray to the Lord. O Lord, who art in heaven. That would have been a good name to pray to God. It's a, it's a true name, and sometimes we call him Lord. He is that. But Lord is not his favorite name. Jesus could have said, hey, when you're praying, make sure you, say, make sure you pray to our master, our master who art in heaven. That would be true. That would be a good name. He, God is our master, but that's not his favorite name. Jesus could have said, when you're praying, call him boss. You know, I think that's how they do it in pidgin English. God's the boss. You know, so he could, that's a good name for God. He's in charge. He's the one in charge of everything. You could call him boss, and that'd be a decent, legitimate name, but that's not his favorite name. When you look through Scripture, what you find out, and what you find out from Jesus is that the Father's favorite name was the name his son called him. That's why Jesus, when he gave us the Lord's Prayer, he said, when you, pray to your, when you pray to God in heaven, pray to him like this, our Father who art in heaven, our Father in heaven. God's favorite name is the name his son calls him. If you're a parent, you get that. I mean, if you're a, if you're a father, what's the best name in the world to you? It's daddy. It's the best name. If you're a mother, what's the best name in the world for you? It's the name your children call you. It's exactly how it is with God, our Father in heaven. So Jesus said, when you pray to him, pray to him as our Father. And it's interesting because as you go through the New Testament, you'll find these stories about God our Father, and you'll find teachings about God our Father. One of those is found in Luke chapter 15. There's a story that we have named. Jesus didn't name it this. Jesus told the story, but he didn't name it this. Somebody else named it. Some Christ follower some years later named the story the prodigal son. You heard of that one? You know, are you sort of familiar with that story? It's really weird because it's a funky name for it. Because it's not about the prodigal son. We don't even know what prodigal means. We think prodigal means that's the son who took off and wasted all of his money. That's not what prodigal means. Prodigal means, look it up in the dictionary. You got a dictionary in your phone. Look it up now. Prodigal means extravagant. So we called it the story of the extravagant son. Yeah, he was extravagant, spending all of his dad's resources. But that's not really what it's about. In fact, it's not about one son at all. It's about two sons. How come we only called it one son? Because really it was about two sons, and it was really more about the older son than the younger extravagant son. It was the older son who was supposed to get the point of the story. And yet it's not even about two sons. It's not really about the sons at all. It's really about the extravagant father. Because everything in the story is told from the perspective of the father. And it tells the heart of the father. And you hear the heart of the father when he relates to his sons, but the story's all about the father. Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. 
So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let's eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. They began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, well, your brother has come and your father has killed a fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've served you, and I've never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, You have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost and has been found. See, the point of the story is that our God is an extravagant Father. And when you come to this God, you need to understand that He's an extravagant Father. And when you think of it just in those terms, you just think, oh, this is who God is, and, and this is what He's like, and He's extravagant towards us. You go, oh, that's really good, except that sometimes that starts to lead us down a track where we begin to compare our Father in heaven with our earthly Father. And for some of us, that's not too big of a deal, but for some of us, that's a really big deal and not in a good way. We start thinking about God our Father and then our earthly Father, and we start to compare the two, and sometimes we get the relationship with that backwards because some of us didn't have a great dad. I had a great dad. He was with me. He was engaged in my life. He was a great dad. That's not everybody's story, even in this room. There's enough of us us in the room 
to be certain that there are some among us who had a father who abandoned your family when you were young. Maybe before you ever even had a chance to know him. There may be some among us who you have such a hole in your heart because your family left and you've never really had contact with him since. And so you think about comparing God our Father to your earthly father and all you can think of is absence. It's possible that in a room this size, almost certain that in a room this size, some of us had fathers who abused us. And I don't know who those are. And if that's you, you know, no one's, no one's thinking it's you because they're all thinking about their own dad at this moment. But some of us had fathers who abused us. And you start thinking about the relationship between God and heaven, God our Father in heaven and your earthly father, and we make the mistake of trying to extrapolate from what we know to what we don't know. And what we know is this earthly father, and he wasn't perfect, and maybe he was less than perfect, maybe he was far less than perfect, maybe he was horrible. And we extrapolate from what we know about our earthly father, and we, and we compare that to what we think we should know about our heavenly father. And a lot of people think, if God is father, I want nothing to do with him. But if that's how you roll that out, you've got the comparison backwards. It's not about comparing our heavenly father to our earthly father. So we learn from our earthly father what our heavenly father is like. It's the other way around. You learn what life should be like from our heavenly father. And you won't be able to change the behavior in the past of your own earthly father. But you can learn from your heavenly father what it means to be a godly parent today. You can learn what it means to be like the father in heaven as a father on earth today. As a mother on earth today. You can learn that. And you're not locked in to whatever's happened to you before. You're not locked in to the character passed on to you from a less than perfect or hurtful earthly father. You have the gift of learning from your heavenly father. Now, the Bible gives some real clear stories about what he's like. There's one found in John chapter 1, verse 14, where the apostle John describes Jesus, and in the process of describing Jesus, he describes our Father. Listen to this. John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The word, which refers to Jesus, Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Here's the story. John says that when we saw Jesus, we recognized him as the one and only Son of God. And the reason we recognized him as the one and only Son of God was because we saw God's glory in him. And how did he know that it was God's glory, which is a word that means character or or manifestation? How did they know that it was God the Father they were seeing in Jesus? John says we knew it because we saw these two things, grace and truth. When Jesus came, he was full of the Father's glory, which means he was full of grace and truth, which means he, re- he represented who God is. So who's God our Father? He is full of grace and truth. You might have had an earthly father who was short on grace and short on truth. Don't judge your heavenly father by him. 
learn from your heavenly Father. He's full of grace and full of truth. I think you can put that on a kind of on a matrix where you go, this axis, this axis is grace and this axis is truth. And here's where God ends up on that scale. Full of truth, full of grace. That's our God. That's our Father. What does that tell you? That tells you the framework for parenting is grace and truth. And the challenge for us is some of us, and we saw this modeled in our parents maybe, but we, we see it living out in our lives. Some of us are really big on grace, but not much truth. And some of us are really big on truth, but not much grace. And when you're like your Father in heaven, you will be full of grace and full of truth. That's the framework for parenting from God's perspective. Now, that gets lived out in a lot of ways. We're going to talk about this over the next four weekends and just talk through how does that grace and truth live itself out in our lives. Let me just give you a couple of scriptures that will begin to give you some direction on this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 says this, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Paul says, when I was writing to you, when I was teaching you, when I was talking to you, we did this as people who were living out what a father does with his children. He says, we were encouraging you, we were comforting you. What are those? Those are words of grace. Those are activities of grace, encouragement, and comfort. He says, we were also urging you to live lives worthy of God. What is that? That's truth. It's being filled with truth. And you can apply those in your own life. It's like, how do I live out as a parent? How do I live out grace? Well, encourage and comfort. How do I live out truth? Urge to live a life worthy of the calling of God. You could add to that Hebrews chapter 12, which says, and you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. That's the truth side. The truth side includes discipline. God disciplines us because he loves us. He encourages and comforts and he urges and he disciplines because he is full of grace and truth. Now, we're going to take the next several weeks and talk that through, but what I want you to do today, I want you just to begin to evaluate where are you. If you're a parent, where are are you with grace and truth? How filled are you with grace and truth? If you're not yet a parent, you start, you have an advantage. Start plugging this stuff into your attention span now and go, okay, in my life, am I going to be filled with grace and truth? Is that true of me? Does grace fill me? And build it in. Build it in now. And get started. Where am I in terms of being filled with grace and truth? Father, I pray for us today. We need to hear this. We need to know your heart and your character. We need to see who you are. So Lord, I pray for us that we would be the kind of people who reflect your glory just like Jesus did. 
that we would be full of grace and full of truth and that would permeate our lives and our families, our homes, and out from there. Lord, we trust you. We look to you together in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen.